0: section five of a treatise concerning the principles of human knowledge by george Berkeley. this librivox recording is in the public domain of the principles of human knowledge continued seventy nine but you will insist what if i have no reason to believe the existence of matter what if i cannot assign any use to it or explain anything by it or even conceive what is meant by that word Yet still it is no contradiction to say that matter exists, and that this matter is in general a substance, or occasion of ideas, though indeed to go about to unfold the meaning or adhere to any particular explication of those words may be attended with great difficulties. I answer, when words are used without a meaning, you may put them together as you please without danger of running into a contradiction. You may say, for example, that twice two is equal to seven, so long as you declare that you do not take the words of that proposition in their usual acceptation, but for marks of you-know-not-what. And by the same reason, you may say there is an inert, thoughtless substance, without accidents, which is the occasion of our ideas, and we shall understand just as much by one proposition as the other. 80. In the last place, you will say what if we give up the cause of material substance and stand to it that matter is an unknown somewhat neither substance nor accident spirit nor idea inert thoughtless indivisible immovable unextended existing in no place for say you whatever may be urged against substance or occasion or any other positive or relative notion of matter has no place at all so long as this negative definition of matter is adhered to i answer you may if so it shall seem good use the word matter in the same sense as other men use nothing and so make those terms convertible in your style for after all this is what appears to me to be the result of that definition the parts whereof when i consider with attention either collectively or separate from each other i do not find that there is any kind of effect or impression made on my mind different from what is excited by the term nothing Eighty one you will reply perhaps that in the foresaid definition is included what doth sufficiently distinguish it from nothing the positive abstract idea of quiddity entity or existence i own indeed that those who pretend to the faculty of framing abstract general ideas do talk as if they had such an idea which is say they the most abstract and general notion of all that is to me the most incomprehensible of all others that there are a great variety of spirits of different orders and capacities whose faculties both in number and extent are far exceeding those the author of my being has bestowed on me i see no reason to deny and for me to pretend to determine by my own few stinted narrow inlets of perception what ideas the inexhaustible power of the supreme spirit may imprint upon them were certainly the utmost folly and presumption since there may be for aught that i know innumerable sorts of ideas or sensations as different from one another and from all that i have perceived as colors are from sounds but how ready soever i may be to acknowledge the scantiness of my comprehension with regard to the endless variety of spirits and ideas that may possibly exist yet for any one to pretend to a notion of entity or existence abstracted from spirit and idea from perceived and being perceived is i suspect a downright repugnancy and trifling with words it remains that we consider the objections which may possibly be made on the part of religion 82 objections derived from the scriptures answered some there are who think that though the arguments for the real existence of bodies which are drawn from reason be allowed not to amount to demonstration yet the holy scriptures are so clear in the point as will sufficiently convince every good christian that bodies do really exist and are something more than mere ideas there being in holy writ innumerable facts related which evidently suppose the reality of timber and stone mountains and rivers and cities and human bodies to which i answer that no sort of writings whatever sacred or profane which use those and the like words in the vulgar acceptation or so as to have a meaning in them are in danger of having their truth called in question by our doctrine that all those things do really exist that there are bodies even corporeal substances when taken in the vulgar sense has been shown to be agreeable to our principles and the difference betwixt things and ideas realities and chimeras has been distinctly explained see section twenty nine thirty thirty three thirty six etc and i do not think that either what philosophers call matter or the existence of objects without the mind is anywhere mentioned in scripture eighty three no objection as to language tenable again whether there can be or be not external things it is agreed on all hands that the proper use of words is the marking our conceptions or things only as they are known and perceived by us whence it plainly follows that in the tenets we have laid down there is nothing inconsistent with the right use and significancy of language and that discourse of what kind soever so far as it is intelligible remains undisturbed but all this seems so manifest from what has been largely set forth in the premises that it is needless to insist any farther on it 84 but secondly it will be urged that miracles do at least lose much of their stress and import by our principles What must we think of Moses's rod? Was it not really turned into a serpent, or was there only a change of ideas in the minds of the spectators? And can it be supposed that our Saviour did no more at the marriage feast in Cana than impose on the sight and smell and taste of the guests, so as to create in them the appearance or idea only of wine? The same may be said of all other miracles, which in consequence of the foregoing principles must be looked upon only as so many cheats or illusions of fancy to this i reply that the rod was changed into a real serpent and the water into real wine that this does not in the least contradict what i have elsewhere said will be evident from section thirty four and thirty five but this business of real and imaginary has been already so plainly and fully explained and so often referred to and the difficulties about it are so easily answered from what has gone before that it were an affront to the reader's understanding to resume the explication of it in its place i shall only observe that if at table all who were present should see and smell and taste and drink wine and find the effects of it with me there could be no doubt of its reality so that at bottom the scruple concerning real miracles has no place at all on ours but only on the received principles and consequently makes rather for than against what has been said eighty five consequences of the preceding tenets having done with the objections which i endeavoured to propose in the clearest light and gave them all the force and weight i could we proceed in the next place to take a view of our tenets in their consequences some of these appear at first sight as that several difficult and obscure questions on which abundance of speculation has been thrown away are entirely banished from philosophy whether corporeal substance can think whether matter be infinitely divisible and how it operates on spirit these and like inquiries have given infinite amusement to philosophers in all ages but depending on the existence of matter, they have no longer any place on our principles. Many other advantages there are, as well with regard to religion as the sciences, which it is easy for any one to deduce from what has been premised. But this will appear more plainly in the sequel. 86. The removal of matter gives certainty to knowledge. From the principles we have laid down, it follows human knowledge may naturally be reduced to two heads, that of ideas and that of spirits. Of each of these i shall treat in order and first as to ideas or unthinking things our knowledge of these has been very much obscured and confounded and we have been led into very dangerous errors by supposing a twofold existence of the objects of sense the one intelligible or in the mind the other real and without the mind whereby unthinking things are thought to have a natural subsistence of their own distinct from being perceived by spirits This, which, if I mistake not, has been shown to be a most groundless and absurd notion, is the very root of scepticism. For so long as men thought that real things subsisted without the mind, and that their knowledge was only so far forth real as it was conformable to real things, it follows they could not be certain they had any real knowledge at all. For how can it be known that the things which are perceived are conformable to those which are not perceived, or exist without the mind? 87 color figure motion extension and the like considered only as so many sensations in the mind are perfectly known there being nothing in them which is not perceived but if they are looked on as notes or images referred to things or archetypes existing without the mind then we are involved all in scepticism we see only the appearances and not the real qualities of things what may be the extension figure or motion of anything really and absolutely or in itself it is impossible for us to know but only the proportion or relation they bear to our senses things remaining the same our ideas vary and which of them or even whether any of them at all represent the true quality really existing in the thing it is out of our reach to determine so that for aught we know all we see hear and feel may be only phantom and vain chimera and not at all agree with the real things existing in rerum natura All this scepticism follows from our supposing a difference between things and ideas, and that the former have a subsistence without the mind, or unperceived. It were easy to dilate on this subject, and show how the arguments urged by sceptics in all ages depend on the supposition of external objects. 88. If there be external matter, neither the nature nor existence of things can be known. So long as we attribute a real existence to unthinking things, distinct from their being perceived, it is not only impossible for us to know with evidence the nature of any real unthinking being, but even that it exists. Hence it is that we see philosophers distrust their senses, and doubt of the existence of heaven and earth, of everything they see or feel, even of their own bodies. And after all their labour and struggle of thought, they are forced to own, we cannot attain to any self-evident or demonstrative knowledge of the existence of sensible things but all this doubtfulness which so bewilders and confounds the mind and makes philosophy ridiculous in the eyes of the world vanishes if we annex a meaning to our words and not amuse ourselves with the terms absolute external exist and such like signifying we know not what i can as well doubt of my own being as of the being of those things which i actually perceive by sense it being a manifest contradiction that any sensible object should be immediately perceived by sight or touch and at the same time have no existence in nature, since the very existence of an unthinking being consists in being perceived. 89. Of thing or being? Nothing seems of more importance towards erecting a firm system of sound and real knowledge, which may be proof against the assaults of scepticism, than to lay the beginning in a distinct explication of what is meant by thing, reality, existence for in vain shall we dispute concerning the real existence of things or pretend to any knowledge thereof so long as we have not fixed the meaning of those words thing or being is the most general name of all it comprehends under it two kinds entirely distinct and heterogeneous and which have nothing common but the name namely spirits and ideas the former are active indivisible substances The latter are inert fleeting dependent beings which subsist not by themselves but are supported by or exist in minds or spiritual substances we comprehend our own existence by inward feeling or reflection and that of other spirits by reason we may be said to have some knowledge or notion of our own minds of spirits and active beings whereof in a strict sense we have not ideas in like manner we know and have a notion of relations between things or ideas which relations are distinct from the ideas or things related, inasmuch as the latter may be perceived by us without our perceiving the former. To me it seems that ideas, spirits and relations are all in their respective kinds the object of human knowledge and subject of discourse, and that the term idea would be improperly extended to signify everything we know or have any notion of. 90. External things either imprinted by or perceived by some other mind. Ideas imprinted on the senses are real things, or do really exist. This we do not deny, but we deny they can subsist without the minds which perceive them, or that they are resemblances of any archetypes existing without the mind, since the very being of a sensation or idea consists in being perceived, and an idea can be like nothing but an idea. Again the things perceived by sense may be termed external, with regard to their origin, in that they are not generated from within by the mind itself but imprinted by a spirit distinct from that which perceives them. Sensible objects may likewise be said to be without the mind in another sense, namely when they exist in some other mind. Thus, when I shut my eyes, the things I saw may still exist, but it must be in another mind. 91. Sensible qualities real. It were a mistake to think that what is here said derogates in the least from the reality of things it is acknowledged on the received principles that extension motion and in a word all sensible qualities have need of a support as not being able to subsist by themselves but the objects perceived by sense are allowed to be nothing but combinations of those qualities and consequently cannot subsist by themselves thus far it is agreed on all hand so that in denying the things perceived by sense an existence independent of a substance of support wherein they may exist we detract nothing from the received opinion of their reality and are guilty of no innovation in that respect all the difference is that according to us the unthinking beings perceived by sense have no existence distinct from being perceived and cannot therefore exist in any other substance than those unextended indivisible substances or spirits which act and think and perceive them whereas philosophers vulgarly hold that the sensible qualities do exist in an inert extended unperceiving substance which they call matter to which they attribute a natural subsistence exterior to all thinking beings or distinct from being perceived by any mind whatsoever even the eternal mind of the creator wherein they suppose only ideas of the corporeal substances created by him if indeed they allow them to be at all created ninety two objections of atheists overturned for as we have shown the doctrine of matter or corporeal substance to have been the main pillar and support of scepticism so likewise upon the same foundation have been raised all the impious schemes of atheism and irreligion nay so great a difficulty has it been thought to conceive matter produced out of nothing that the most celebrated among the ancient philosophers even of those who maintained the being of a god have thought matter to be uncreated and co-eternal with him how great a friend material substance has been to atheists in all ages were needless to relate all their monstrous systems have so visible and necessary a dependence on it that when this cornerstone is once removed the whole fabric cannot choose but fall to the ground insomuch that it is no longer worth while to bestow a particular consideration on the absurdities of every wretched sect of atheists ninety three and of fatalists also That impious and profane persons should readily fall in with those systems which favour their inclinations, by deriding immaterial substance, and supposing the soul to be divisible and subject to corruption as the body, which exclude all freedom, intelligence and design from the formation of things, and instead thereof make a self-existent, stupid, unthinking substance the root and origin of all beings that they should hearken to those who deny a providence or inspection of a superior mind over the affairs of the world, attributing the whole series of events either to blind chance or fatal necessity arising from the impulse of one body or another. All this is very natural. And on the other hand, when men of better principles observe the enemies of religion lay so great a stress on unthinking matter, and all of them use so much industry and artifice to reduce everything to it, Methinks they should rejoice to see them deprived of their grand support, and driven from that only fortress, without which your epicureans, hobbists, and the like, have not even the shadow of a pretense, but become the most cheap and easy triumph in the world. 94. Of idolaters. The existence of matter, or bodies unperceived, has not only been the main support of atheists and fatalists, but on the same principle doth idolatry likewise in all its various forms depend did men but consider that the sun moon and stars and every other object of the senses are only so many sensations in their minds which have no other existence but barely being perceived doubtless they would never fall down and worship their own ideas but rather address their homage to that eternal invisible mind which produces and sustains all things 95. and Socinians the same absurd principle by mingling itself with the articles of our faith as occasioned no small difficulties to christians for example about the resurrection how many scruples and objections have been raised by socinians and others but do not the most plausible of them depend on the supposition that a body is denominated the same with regard not to the form or that which is perceived by sense but the material substance which remains the same under several forms take away this material substance about the identity whereof all the dispute is and mean by body what every plain ordinary person means by that word to wit that which is immediately seen and felt which is only a combination of sensible qualities or ideas and then their most unanswerable objections come to nothing ninety six summary of the consequences of expelling matter Matter being once expelled out of nature, drags with it so many sceptical and impious notions, such an incredible number of disputes and puzzling questions, which have been thorns in the sides of divines as well as philosophers, and made so much fruitless work for mankind, that if the arguments we have produced against it are not found equal to demonstration, as to me they evidently seem, yet I am sure all friends to knowledge, peace and religion have reason to wish they were. 97 beside the external existence of the objects of perception another great source of errors and difficulties with regard to ideal knowledge is the doctrine of abstract ideas such as it has been set forth in the introduction the plainest things in the world those we are most intimately acquainted with and perfectly know when they are considered in an abstract way appear strangely difficult and incomprehensible time place and motion taken in particular or concrete are what everybody knows but having passed through the hands of a metaphysician, they become too abstract and fine to be apprehended by men of ordinary sense. Bid your servant meet you at such a time, in such a place, and he shall never stay to deliberate on the meaning of those words. In conceiving that particular time and place, or the motion by which he is to get thither, he finds not the least difficulty. But if time be taken exclusive of all those particular actions and ideas that diversify the day, merely for the continuation of existence or duration in abstract, Then it will perhaps gravel even a philosopher to comprehend it 98 dilemma for my own part whenever i attempt to frame a simple idea of time abstracted from the succession of ideas in my mind which flows uniformly and is participated by all beings i am lost and embrangled in inextricable difficulties i have no notion of it at all only i hear others say it is infinitely divisible and speak of it in such a manner as leads me to entertain odd thoughts of my existence since that doctrine lays one under an absolute necessity of thinking, either that he passes away innumerable ages without a thought, or else that he is annihilated every moment of his life, both which seem equally absurd. Time, therefore, being nothing, abstracted from the succession of ideas in our minds, it follows that the duration of any finite spirit must be estimated by the number of ideas or actions succeeding each other in that same spirit or mind. Hence it is a plain consequence that the soul always thinks, and in truth whoever shall go about to divide in his thoughts or abstract the existence of a spirit from its cogitation will i believe find it no easy task ninety nine so likewise when we attempt to abstract extension and motion from all other qualities and consider them by themselves we presently lose sight of them and run into great extravagances all which depend on a twofold abstraction first it is supposed that extension for example may be abstracted from all other sensible qualities and secondly that the entity of extension may be abstracted from its being perceived but whoever shall reflect and take care to understand what he says will if i mistake not acknowledge that all sensible qualities are alike sensations and alike real that where the extension is there is the color too that is in his mind and that their archetypes can exist only in some other mind and that the objects of sense are nothing but those sensations, combined, blended, or, if one may so speak, concreted together, none of all which can be supposed to exist unperceived. 100. What it is for a man to be happy, or an object good, every one may think he knows. But to frame an abstract idea of happiness, prescinded from all particular pleasure, or of goodness from everything that is good, this is what few can pretend to so likewise a man may be just and virtuous without having precise ideas of justice and virtue the opinion that those and the like words stand for general notions abstracted from all particular persons and actions seems to have rendered morality very difficult and the study thereof of small use to mankind and in effect the doctrine of abstraction has not a little contributed towards spoiling the most useful parts of knowledge 101 of natural philosophy and mathematics the two great provinces of speculative science conversant about ideas received from sense are natural philosophy and mathematics. With regard to each of these I shall make some observations. And first I shall say somewhat of natural philosophy. On this subject it is that the sceptics triumph. All that stock of arguments they produce to depreciate our faculties and to make mankind appear ignorant and low are drawn principally from this head, namely, that we are under an invincible blindness as to the true and real nature of things this they exaggerate and love to enlarge on we are miserably bantered say they by our senses and amused only with the outside and show of things the real essence the internal qualities and constitution of every the meanest object is hid from our view something there is in every drop of water every grain of sand which it is beyond the power of human understanding to fathom or comprehend but it is evident from what has been shown that all this complaint is groundless and that we are influenced by false principles to that degree as to mistrust our senses and think we know nothing of those things which we perfectly comprehend a hundred and two one great inducement to our pronouncing ourselves ignorant of the nature of things is the current opinion that everything includes within itself the cause of its properties or that there is in each object an inward essence which is the source whence its discernible qualities flow and whereon they depend Some have pretended to account for appearances by occult qualities, but of late they are mostly resolved into mechanical causes, to wit, the figure, motion, weight, and such-like qualities of insensible particles. Whereas in truth there is no other agent or efficient cause than spirit, it being evident that motion, as well as all other ideas, is perfectly inert. See section 25 hence to endeavour to explain the production of colours or sounds by figure motion magnitude and the like must needs be labour in vain and accordingly we see the attempts of that kind are not at all satisfactory which may be said in general of those instances wherein one idea or quality is assigned for the cause of another i need not say how many hypotheses and speculations are left out and how much the study of nature is abridged by this doctrine a hundred and three Attraction signifies the effect, not the manner or cause. The great mechanical principle now in vogue is attraction. That a stone falls to the earth, or the sea swells towards the moon, may to some appear sufficiently explained thereby. But how are we enlightened by being told this is done by attraction? Is it that that word signifies the manner of the tendency, and that it is by the mutual drawing of bodies instead of their being impelled or protruded towards each other? but nothing is determined of the manner or action and it may as truly for aught we know be termed impulse or protrusion as attraction again the parts of steel we see cohere firmly together and this also is accounted for by attraction but in this as in the other instances i do not perceive that anything is signified besides the effect itself for as to the manner of the action whereby it is produced or the cause which produces it these are not so much as aimed at One hundred and four indeed if we take a view of the several phenomena and compare them together we may observe some likeness and conformity between them for example in the falling of a stone to the ground in the rising of the sea towards the moon in cohesion crystallization etc there is something alike namely an union or mutual approach of bodies so that any one of these or the like phenomena may not seem strange or surprising to a man who has nicely observed and compared the effects of nature for that only is thought so which is uncommon or a thing by itself and out of the ordinary course of our observation that bodies should tend towards the centre of the earth is not thought strange because it is what we perceive every moment of our lives but that they should have a like gravitation towards the centre of the moon may seem odd and unaccountable to most men because it is discerned only in the tides but a philosopher whose thoughts take in a larger compass of nature having observed a certain similitude of appearances as well in the heavens as the earth that argue innumerable bodies to have a mutual tendency towards each other which he denotes by the general name attraction whatever can be reduced to that he thinks justly accounted for thus he explains the tides by the attraction of the terraqueous globe towards the moon which to him does not appear odd or anomalous but only a particular example of a general rule or law of nature One hundred and five if therefore we consider the difference there is betwixt natural philosophers and other men with regard to their knowledge of the phenomena we shall find it consists not in an exacter knowledge of the efficient cause that produces them for that can be no other than the will of a spirit but only in a greater largeness of comprehension whereby analogies harmonies and agreements are discovered in the works of nature and the particular effects explained that is reduced to general rules see section sixty two which rules grounded on the analogy and uniformness observed in the production of natural effects are most agreeable and sought after by the mind for that they extend our prospect beyond what is present and near to us and enable us to make very probable conjectures touching things that may have happened at very great distances of time and place as well as to predict things to come which sort of endeavour towards omniscience is much affected by the mind End of section five.